everyone, and welcome to the Life 2.0 podcast, a show about people who are intentionally composing a life for themselves in times of accelerated change. I'm your host, Bea Spadaccini, and I want to thank you for joining me again or for the very first time. In today's show, you are going to meet Tess Finnegan, owner of Green Hydrangea, a flower shop in Washington, D.C. Before Tess decided to own a flower business, she was a federal trial attorney with the Department of Justice, and a very successful one in that. Prior to working for the U.S. government, Tess worked in a prominent Washington, D.C. law firm. So let's find out what made Tess decide to make such a radical shift in her lifestyle, how she got there, and how things are going. So one of the questions I start with um, when I have guests on the podcast is to think about the verb to compose and what does that mean to you and whether or not it resonates with your life's journey. I think for me, that means almost like a symphony or almost a composition for a piece of art where you pull together, you know, disparate pieces or disparate colors And you formulate it into a whole that is cohesive and makes sense uh, and is beautiful. Sometimes even I think of it as even like a braid where you're pulling disparate pieces together and kind of knitting or braiding something together so that it's one single piece that works. Tell us what made you decide to become a lawyer in the first place. I imagine that was a calling in some ways and that it was not just about a potentially lucrative profession. Uh, Becoming a lawyer is hard work and expensive and requires lots of focus. So what made you decide to become a lawyer? One of the driving forces behind becoming a lawyer was a a sincere desire to be helpful um, and to help people in crisis and to help people solve problems. And it was a good option for for income. I mean, it is a lucrative profession, and it that that can't be discounted. I loved my legal jobs. I felt very fortunate to get a job with a law firm right out of law school. It helps me pay down a lot of debt very quickly. I felt very fortunate to work for the Department of Justice as a young trial attorney. That I had so much responsibility uh, thrust onto me and gained so much invaluable experience doing it. And I had wonderful mentors there. But at the same time, I did feel like something was missing that even though I was learning about new things every day, I was in an office, I was litigating, which means you're a paid fighter. I was probably headed towards a serious burnout I was having some stress-related illnesses, uh, stomach aches. I wasn't sleeping through the night. I was irritable. I had headaches. And I think I was starting to understand that maybe I had to find a different way. While she was still at the Department of Justice, Tess and her husband, who is originally from France, decided to take a year off from their jobs and go live in France. Her husband, who is also a lawyer, worked at a law firm and was able to negotiate a leave of absence. In France, Tess fell in love with boutique flower shops, their charming customer service, and informal sidewalk displays. In France, flowers are cheaper than in the US and are considered an affordable luxury. You could just walk up to the buckets and just pick what you wanted out of it, and you could walk that whole bundle in to the front door, and someone was standing there, a floral designer was standing there, ready to turn it into a gorgeous hand-tied bouquet right in front of you. And they would use rubber bands to wrap it all up at the bottom, and then they would put a big piece of cellophane and colored paper on it and ribbons. 
And it was the most magical thing. I loved it. It was just like this quick art form. While in France, Tess tried to work in a flower shop, but there were too many bureaucratic hurdles to get a work permit. And that never really happened. When the couple returned to Washington, D.C., Tess went back to work as a lawyer at the Department of Justice. She took on a big caseload and was doing crazy hours until she got pregnant with her first child. She worked right up until the day the baby was born. After her maternity leave, she went back to work part-time and then ramped up to the full-time again. Until it all came tumbling down. Having children is such a thunderclap change in your life. Um, Your priorities basically overnight become reordered. And your role as a, as a mother in the world completely shifts in such a way that I realized pretty quickly that in order to get my life to work the way I wanted to, I had to make some, some serious changes. Not long after her first child was born, Tess resigned from the Department of Justice. Initially, she thought she would get a part-time job and work from home. But then she got pregnant again, and that is when she accepted that this would be her motherhood phase. And yes, a third child eventually also came along. Taking care of the children was hectic and all-consuming, but Tess managed to carve out a little time for herself here and there when the children were taking naps or out on a play date. So she started to think about what might come next. I was doing a lot of yoga classes at that time. I was starting to notice what made me feel good. And I wanted a job, unlike my litigation jobs, which drained me, I wanted a job that would just, I started to realize like we can't get more time out of our day, but we can grow our energy. And that almost has the same effect as buying more time. I wanted a job that gave me good energy that I could continue to do and bring that good energy home and kind of share it around my my house with my people. And so I was on a quest for something that was a challenge, but would, that I would feel good while doing it. If there's a way I could show up in the world, you know, uh, in the working world as a mother in a way that made sense to me um, without, you know, being a litigator and doing something that I loved that, you know, for me, the big thrust of it was, you know, I wanted to have good energy. Part of it was having kids. Part of it was being able to have time for exercise. Um, And then part of it was kind of, grasping towards a more creative life. Uh, at one point, we had moved to Paris, and I was taking uh, drawing classes and just kind of reveling in the idea that you could, like the verb to live encompassed both, a, you know, a 9 to 7 p.m. grind at a computer, you know, writing briefs and arguing with opposing counsel on the telephone. And it also could encompass you know, a much kinder, gentler way of living where, you know, you took walks and you cared for yourself and you, you know, made food from scratch at every meal and you just had, you know, more of a chance to breathe. Creativity kind of rushes into those spaces. During her time as a full-time mom, Tess read a lot and started to journal. One of the books that inspired her to embrace this life transition was The Desire Map by Danielle Laporte. This is what she took away from the book. What resonated the most with me, I should say, is that, you know, on the journey towards achieving your goal, is 
is and should be a joyful place. You should be happy on that journey. You can't expect to be happy once you reach the goal because you're, first of all, you're always going to set new goals for yourself Mm -hmm. and achieving that goal isn't actually the answer. It's how you feel uh, as you are achieving it that really counts towards making a good and successful and beautiful life. I mean, I do think that happiness is an inside job and you really have to do whatever it takes that will make you feel good. And I think eventually the people, the naysayers will eventually come along. I had felt that burnout in my legal career and I did take a step back to stay home with kids. And then after doing that for six, seven years, I started to realize I needed more, right? But I think overarching... You know, the, the arc of this narrative is that even while I was practicing law, I still felt like I, I needed something more, that I wasn't quite living fully enough. You didn't know what, what was the fit, so it was a period of uncertainty. Yeah. So how did you grapple with the uncertainty? I read a lot of books. I uh, kind of went inside a little bit. Uh, I journaled a lot. I followed a bunch of, well, actually, they were all female bloggers uh, who had taken changes in their life. And I signed on to all of their blogs and got all of their emails coming into my inbox. I created this secret file called Girl Power in my inbox. (laughs) And I paid attention to everything that they were saying. You know, some of them were doctors who were burning out, who, you know, changed their life in a certain direction. Um, One of them was Danielle Laporte. One is a woman named Marie Forleo, whose tagline is, you know, you can have the business and life that you want. Um, They were all very, very empowering. So that was one way where I was trying to discern what to do next. I read books on my own. Uh, I kind of tried to hold space for myself. Can you elaborate what holding space means? Because I think I can relate to that, but I think in the kind of fast world that we live in, especially in urban areas like D.C., but other big cities, what can we even hold space? I hear you on that. It isn't easy. It's a lot of staying home. It's a lot of being boring. It's a lot of journaling. It's a lot of sort of sitting around, like, kind of feeling uncomfortable with these questions, sitting in a chair and looking out into space. I didn't know what my next right move was. And I didn't know what the next right thing to do was. So, I, And I also, I tried a lot of things. While I was holding that space, I was still st- trying to stay open to opportunities that were just rolling my way, whether it was, uh, you know, activism on the Hill with, a, um, with Moms Demand Action, which I care immensely about, or an, an, an attorney I know offered to allow me to edit a textbook. It's actually like the perfect job, except I couldn't bring myself to do it. So I had to kind of, I just kept trying. I guess that's what holding space looked like for me. It was eating right. It was sleeping. It was getting really, I call it being boring. Is it a luxury to create that space? Or is it something that no matter what, in some ways, we can sort of create space, hold space, Uh and reflect? Is this giving us joy? And isn't it part of our birthright to seek out that joy? You know, Madeline Albright, in order to get her PhD, would, you know, when she was raising her kids, would wake up at four o'clock in the morning to write at her kitchen table. Uh, I read a book by Julia Cameron called The Artist's Way. And her thing was, you know, wake up half an hour early, take that half an hour to just write stream of consciousness in your journal to kind of dump out the toxicity of your own brain and kind of get the, the wheels turning and give yourself 
those 30 minutes. So it doesn't it doesn't have to be a trip to Paris, you know, where you are, you know, walking these beautiful streets. It can be just waking up 30, 40 minutes before everybody else is awake in the house and going down to your kitchen table or going to your desk and giving yourself those moments to really focus in and try to listen to the voice that's, you know, we all have that internal monologue. You just have to kind of tune into it to hear what it's trying to tell you. Mm -hmm. And you have to allow a little bit of space for that to come through. Maybe if someone's a night owl, it works better for them to save an hour at the end of the day to read a little bit and journal a little bit. Everybody has got certain constraints in their life, but if if you want for this to happen, you can find the space. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. and you have to you have to carve out a little bit of space too for like that creative genius to show up. To create that space where possibilities arise, where creativity can flow. Do we have to give up some control? of knowing everything right away, planning ahead. It's that, oh, it's kind of boring. I have to get quiet. I have to get boring so that I can hear myself think. I can't do that if in the hustle and bustle of everyday life if I'm always running from one thing to the next. You, I do, for me, I have to slow down. Those moments when you're a little bit low, sometimes they're gifts because they force you to slow down. And if you just kind of sit in that space a little while and wait, you know, wait to try to work yourself out of it. It can be very therapeutic. So this process, which lasted several years, led Tess to consider three ideas that might enable her to create an alternative lifestyle, one that would be more aligned with her responsibilities as a mom and her desire to bring more positive energy into her home. The first option was a travel app. The second one had to do with children and food allergies. And then a final one arose. The third idea was this tiny idea of just having my own flower shop. I had this vision, right, of what it looked like, right down to the dog under my feet, a golden retriever dog under my feet. This was already a full-blown image in my mind that I had been carrying around in large part because every time I took the bus, the city bus, to go down to my office at DOJ, I passed by a flower shop, and it must have just kicked off some sort of imaginary ride in my mind. To help her with that decision-making process, she created an informal board of advisors with entrepreneurs that she knew personally, a group of friends that she had and could ask questions to whenever she was unsure about something related to her business startup idea. Technology is great. I mean, I could text them pretty much any time, and people were more than happy to answer questions. And, you know, I had friends who were willing to expose me to come see this speaker, come, you know, read this article, check out this TED Talk. I think when you put something out into the universe, things do happen. And that also means letting people know what you're trying to do. Yes. And then people want to help. People want to help. And I, I think actually everybody struggles with something, right? You know, people are very willing to give you the benefit of their experience if they've already been through something like this. One of her advisors suggested that she get a job at a flower shop to learn what that business entails day in and day out. Tess thought it was a simple and practical idea. She could not figure out why she had not done that yet. You know, I put my two kids in uh, in school. I took the third kid on my hip. I walked down to a flower shop in Georgetown and I walked in the door and said, do you guys need help? And it turned out that they did. I had had no experience, but I showed up at the right time and they really needed help organizing the shop. It had just gone through a change in ownership. And the owner looked at me and he said, well, you organized. And I thought, oh my gosh, am I organized? You know, I mean, I, 
I'd been a lawyer for many years. I was used to organizing vast amount of information and people and getting everything moving in the same direction. Ten days later, she started to work in the flower shop three days a week. She was paid by the hour, and her babysitter made more than what she was making. But she was learning all that is needed to run a flower shop. I learned how to take care of flowers. I learned how a flower shop runs. I learned elements of design. I watched what everybody was doing. I came to understand, you know, what makes something beautiful, what makes something unique, what makes something gorgeous. It was honestly one of my one of my favorite years. I kept it very close to the vest that I was working at a flower shop. I didn't tell everybody for like six months. And then a lot of my friends thought I was crazy to start a flower business. But now that they see it's successful, I think they think differently about it. Any big shift you make, some people will understand it implicitly. Some people will not. I think it's important to just focus on what you think is right and keep the people who are supporting you close by so that you can continue to get lift off on what it is you're trying trying to do. A year into it, she realized she was still working for someone else, helping them achieve their dream and not running her own shop. She explored a possible partnership with the owners and even a franchise, but neither of these options panned out. That is when she took another leap of faith and moved on. The first thing she did when she got home that day was to buy the domain name of her soon-to-be flower business, greenhydrangea.com. A few days later, while she was still unsure how to truly get started, she ran into a friend who said she would stop by the shop to place an order for a baby shower event. I said, oh, listen, I don't work there anymore. She said, oh, well, do you want to do it anyway? And I thought, yes, I do. <laughs> that was client zero. Uh, and it, the business grew word of mouth. Uh, we started in November 2014, and we are, you know, we're four years old now, four years old and change, and we're, we are almost doubling sales year over year, uh, and we still have a lot of room to grow. So it's been a good gamble. Tess does not have a brick-and-mortar shop. She has a design studio in her garage with an online shop. She has email traffic instead of foot traffic. This is a deliberate choice she made because she wanted to be close to her kids and be able to see them when they got home from school. If she has to work on a Saturday morning, the playroom is beside her studio, so she knows where the kids are and what they're doing. Recently, she launched a sister business called The Bouquet Club, which offers workshops for anyone who wants to learn about flower arrangements and connect to others in real life. What advice would you give people who want to compose a life of their own in times of accelerated change and increased competition? I think the first place to start would be to assess the things that you really just genuinely like doing. And if there's a way to monetize that, that's amazing. Um, if there isn't, it just, my advice would be to keep track of what catches your eye in the newspaper, uh, what catches your eye in when you're reading magazines, what stories you find interesting, uh, and then give yourself a little time each day to sort of think through what was compelling about the things that caught your eye. What I'm trying to say is, you know, people are kind of waiting for this like thunderbolt of, you know, this is my passion and I have to do this, but it never really works that way, right? Real life, it's not that way. Sometimes it really is just following the trail of breadcrumbs to figure out what your next right step is. I sort of stumbled into the idea of being an entrepreneur and owning my own business um, and the florist idea it was a really light touch. I mean, I like to have fresh flowers on my desk, but it wasn't like 
And it was probably, you know, always seeing this one flower shop when I went to catch a city bus, but it wasn't like a big clanging bell. It was more like a, a, a little whisper. And so I say that, to, I mean, I realized too, I had just gone through my, I had kept a file of inspiration and I'm old school. So it's literally in a folder and it's literally pages torn out of newspapers or magazines. And it was all female business owners, you know, a lot of it. Uh, and so I realized that I had already been layering all of that into my, I was looking for inspiration out in the world and I was layering this into my, into my life. Tess was raised by a single mom who worked hard to put her daughter through school. Tess got into Princeton University as an undergraduate and later received her law degree from American University. She was an accomplished young professional before becoming a mom and then starting her own business. I asked her if she ever considered using her law degree in another way when she was thinking about what to do next with her life. After all, she really had invested a lot into becoming a lawyer. She told me that she was passionate about human rights and domestic violence work, but she could not go down that route because she has a soft heart and it would take too big of an emotional toll on her. It is a hard thing to tell yourself that like you care deeply, but you can't go here. It, that was hard. I had done sex offenses at the U.S. Attorney's Office and I had done domestic violence work at the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um, during during my law school years. Uh, and so I had already a sense that those stories were really hard for me to live with day in and day out. And I knew enough people in the field who had suffered practicing that kind of law for, you know, for long stretches of time. It's just finding the right fit. For me, I had to find the right fit between what I was passionate about and who I could help without throwing myself under the bus. It's kind of that third leg that, and maybe it's as you get older, you realize you only have limited amount of energy each day. And if you're already starting out at a, at a, at a you know, sad deficit, you're not going to be very helpful to anyone, whether they're in your life or whether it's your client base. And so, you know, it's, it's important to find the right fit. When you worked at the Department of Justice, you had a federal job. There are a lot of people with federal jobs in Washington, D.C., or other stable careers, which are pretty rare these days, that are terrified about leaving those jobs because of the benefits they come with, including health care, and the packages they get once they reach retirement age, which is totally understandable. What are your thoughts? The health care component in, in the United States is a, a major one. I mean, if you are the one who's carrying the health benefits, it is a much harder calculus. I was not in that position, but I still think there is some way that you could probably give yourself 30 to 60 minutes a day to work on whatever it is you think is going to take you to the next place where you belong. Um, it, you know, quitting your job and jumping off a bridge into the void. It sounds so romantic and exciting, but I don't know a lot of people who do that. Even my shift was attenuated over 10 or 15 years. Nothing happens overnight, but if you do a, if you chip away at it and do a little bit every day, it has two benefits. One, it brings you more joy. And we are I think hardwired for joy and we want more of it. So it it starts to pay down dividends because you want to do more of it. And then the other benefit is that you will start to either develop a body of work that could be useful in your next 
next path or you will learn that you don't like something, which would be useful and you can set that aside or it might just lead you to contacts or other venues that are going to get you to the next place you'd like to be. So it's, you know, you don't, I I say don't quit the day job. I say take a side hustle. I say, you know, see what you can work out on the side. It's lucky to have a job that pays the bills and, and gives you the health benefits you need for your family. Um, But that doesn't mean that, you know, you should keep a little window open in your mind that there's, you know, something else that you can do. Maybe you want to be a dog walker and maybe you're able to do that on the weekend. And also I think it really depends how happy you are in those jobs. There's a point where, like in relationships, if it's the negative is too much, then you have to walk away. If you are somewhat content, can live with it because it gives you the security and this and that is giving you joy. So that's fine. Yes. So it's really a subjective and very, very personal decision. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, and within the federal system and most agencies, there's room for movement um, if you just, I, I think you. I think every person has to just take the time to size up what, um, what it is they are struggling with. Sometimes an intra-agency move could satisfy you know, give you enough of a change and still keep your, your great benefits and still keep your salary. Sometimes you do need to take more drastic measures, but I say start small and test your theory before you quit your day job. Um, that is not, I would never counsel anyone to quit their day job. So Life 2.0 podcast is really not just about career changing, it's about finding that balance and being intentional about composing the life, which I think you have. Has running your own business, is running your own business, is it giving you more quality time for your family and more personal freedom? In other words, are you able to do the things that truly matter to you more? I set my own hours. I take the work on that I think we can do. Sometimes we have to staff things differently if it's you know a large, large event. I am able to be present I'm not, you know, going to an office on K Street and staying there for 10 to 12 hours a day. I'm, I'm around. The kids can see me. I mean, am I completely hands-on and serving snack? No. But they know where to find me. They know I'm in the house. I have great childcare right now to help, you know, manage all of this. And my husband is very supportive. But I'm able to usually work my schedule so that I can see a friend for lunch if I wanted. I'm, I mean, I do work a lot. Entrepreneur life is not for the faint of heart. Starting a business and then starting a second business. There's not necessarily snow days or there holidays. No, there's, no, just there's, depend- no, there's no snow days. Um, being a florist destroys most of your holidays because <laughs> everybody wants beautiful flowers for their table at the, those times of year. But I wouldn't treat it. I just have had to get smart around organization. It's definitely still a work in progress, but I am learning more about what kind of support I need and I'm learning more about how much planning goes into really anything that we're going to do. I, I like this balance. I, I mean, sometimes it feels like you're drinking from a fire hose, but for the most part, I have not regretted becoming an entrepreneur. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Live 2.0 Pod. That is Life, the number 2.0 Pod. Like us also on Facebook. 
You can subscribe to this podcast via Apple iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.